Welcome to In the Thick of It, Potter and Lossie's weekly podcast with myself, Colin Lambert, Managing Editor of P&L, and in New York, Galen Stops, Editor of Profit and Loss. Well, Galen, we sometimes wonder that in the summer months in the Northern Hemisphere, there's not enough to talk about for the podcast. Um, and every week we have, our li- we have our little angst moment about what we're going to talk about this week. I haven't got much on the dock yet. Um, we've only got one thing really this week, haven't we? Which is um, LSE's $27 billion deal with Refinitiv. Thoughts? <laughs> so, yeah, so this is uh, definitely um, got tongues wagging today. It's, just, it's such a big deal, right? It's, it's hard to overstate the scale of this. I mean, I know uh, LSE's shares have been skyrocketing since the deal was, was announced. But you know, prior to this, LSE was, was valued in the region of £20 billion. Uh, I think £20 billion, pounds, that is. Uh, that's like the London Stock Exchange Group with everything in it. And now they are looking at what is a, a, a deal valued at, at $27 billion. So it's, it's mm-hmm. huge, right? And you just you don't see uh, deals this size coming along very often. Even even uh, you'd say you know ICE, which has probably been of the exchange groups, has been doing some of the biggest, most headline grabbing you know deals of the past decade or so. Right? Those have have been you know I'd say they're all I think off the top of my head I think they're all sub you know 15 billion. And so this is a really huge deal. Now there's still lots to be figured out. There's still lots we don't know, but I, I think it's really interesting. It, it seems to make sense. I'm a little bit annoyed because we published an article earlier this year saying who are the, uh, the likely uh, buyers of Refinitiv, and yeah. I had I had LSE at number five out of five on my list. <laughs> Not all your predictions were then. I'm glad to hear that. Oh, okay. That wasn't my crystal ball prediction. That was just uh, no one you knows. Know, the car. Um, <laughs> and, and 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 I had Deutsche Börse at number one. I was so close. Yes, <laughs> close doesn't cut it in this world. I mean, yeah, I it, I think it's as you say, it's a huge deal. So you're going to be putting something out over the weekend, which are five questions resulting from this deal. Obviously, this is yeah. a format that you've used before. I think you did that with the CME and. EBS link up, if I remember rightly, and uh, even Deutsche Börsen 360T. So, Everyone what about running list, through Colin. those? Yeah. Sorry? So, so yeah. So, everyone loves the list, Colin. Yes, yes. Okay. So, yeah, so I, I'm going to be printing out uh, out two pieces, one uh, with questions and, and one hopefully with a few more answers. But while I have you, I'll I'll put some of my questions to you and, and see what you think, and we can talk about them. Well, so, okay. I think we should because so, when is not when, when is not having the facts ever stopped as having an opinion? Exactly. Okay. Yeah. So one of the first things that people started talking to me about, or I started seeing certainly online in the Twitter sphere, etc., was people commenting about whether this is going to uh, set off more M and A activity. So, so Ice Intercontinental's exchange has uh, tried to buy LSE before. They tried to muscle in on the uh, the proposed Deutsche Börse merger, which was, if you remember, going to be a, a quote-unquote merger of equals, and then yes. ICE tried to crash the party with a, you know, a, I think it was a 15 billion all-cash offer. Uh, it came to nothing, but now uh, a lot of people are speculating, could they be tempted to try again before this goes through to get in on that? Um, you know, obviously, they're not interested in the equities business. You know, even when they bought NICE, they, they spun off Euronex, they just wanted the derivatives business. So for them, it would be the data businesses and uh, 
the clearinghouse, LCH. A lot of people have highlighted the importance of, of LCH right now to me, saying that, mm. that, that for a lot of people, that's the real gem here. So, so that's one thing. Um, but also on the M&A front, I've heard a few people mention that, uh, you know, so Refinitiv owned TradeWeb. It IPO'd earlier this year, but they retained a lot of the shares. So with the TradeWeb seen as a bit difficult to buy right now, I'm hearing a lot of people saying that, that market access which is another uh, electronic-based income trading platform, suddenly becomes a lot more of an interesting asset as one of the, the few viable things out there. Um, and then I was also interested in reading your column earlier this week in which you uh, you suggested that perhaps uh, Coronex could be uh, an interesting, if not on the table, you didn't necessarily say that, but it could be an interesting asset that Deutsche Börse could look to now that it's deal for, for FX all and or matching uh, has been discovered. So what's your thought on, on M&A resulting from that? Um, I think M&A becomes a bit harder because I'm not sure there's that much on the table. Your fixed income point is well taken, actually, and I think maybe the fixed income space is where the consolidation will happen because there are a lot of smaller niche platforms dealing in you know very specific fixed income type products. Um, you know, corporate bonds, you know, where they trade once a day or something. And I wonder if um, we'll see some consolidation there as, you know, a lot, someone comes in and sweeps up a lot of very smaller fixed income platforms to make it, to make them a bigger. Um, I think it's definitely ripe for uh, consolidation there. FX, I think it's a bit difficult now, I have to say, because there's not a great deal on the table. Um, and I guess that was the point I was making with Curranex, is that if you look around, Curranex is not on the table. However, as a bank, State Street in the past have, you know, sources have told me, been subject to some fairly rigorous questioning over the why they own an ECN provider. Um, FX, uh, sorry, Global Link, you know, FX Connect, they understand because it's their core client group. But there was, there's, there's been questions in the past. So, you know, sorry, why have you got this current X piece? Obviously, they bought it because it was, you know, it was the whole, it was the whole business piece, and they needed a technology um, upgrade. So maybe if someone went to State Street with an offer they couldn't refuse, because um, Currex is actually a successful platform. It's got a good technology business on the side as well. Um, it does decent volumes. You'd probably think it could be worth in the region, you know, maybe of what something like an EBS was, you know, next next um, markets. So yeah. Yeah, you know, they paid, what, $584 million for it all those years ago? And they could get a serious return on their cash. Will they do it? I honestly don't know, mate. And that's my problem. I look beyond there and I think, who are you going to buy? Yes, yeah, so that's one conversation I've had with um, at least one person today where they were basically talking about the, that there's a serious lack of... Um, of basically, of available assets. And no, no, there's a serious lack of available assets. There's a qualifier. There's a serious lack of available assets that are big enough to make a difference. Yes. Yeah, that's the thing. I mean, there's plenty of ECNs out there doing five yards a day. Um, that's not going to make a difference. I mean, you know, if you, you know, think back just a year and a bit ago, we were talking about 360T buying GTX as a stepping stone because, you know, GTX was, you know, verging on the... Um, the, the you know the, the edge of credibility by doing ten yards, it went up to fourteen to fifteen yards, and I think you know that does make it a credible FX venue. But there aren't that many platforms out there really doing you know fifteen yards a day. 
Uh, no, they absolutely are not. And um, and I think that's the point. When I when I spoke to people today, they you know they said you know next group gone now, definitive gone now, current next taken. Those are the biggest uh, the biggest three that they that, that, that they highlight. Yeah. Well, yeah. Um, and so okay, so 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 this brings me on to, to another question, which was. Hang on, uh, before you go there, I think yeah. we've missed one out. But we, there's one thing that I deliberately missed out there, um, because, and that's FX Spotstream, which, you know, whose volumes are growing significantly. I know they dipped a little bit last month, as I think everyone will have done. Um, the que- it's interesting to me because three months ago, maybe six months ago, I was talking to people in the banks in the strategic initiatives thing, and I was saying, yeah, at some stage we'll offload Spotstream. Um, this week, those people's opinions have swung around, and they're looking at it saying, actually, no, if we can hold on to this, it's a fairly rare asset. Not quite rarer for China, but it's a fairly rare asset, and therefore, they might actually hold on to it. So FX Spotstream at some stage may be in play if the banks want to release their interest. But my understanding now is that a few of those have swung 180 degrees on that issue. Anyway, yeah. on, on. I, I'm somewhat I'm somewhat surprised that they were thinking about getting rid of it because I would have thought it kind of suits them right quite nicely right now. I mean, it, it's doing well. It's building volume. It's got it's got the banks behind it. Um, mm. I, I would have thought the play would have been to keep hold of it for a while longer at least from the start. Um, but anyway, yeah. so, so my, my next question for you then is, which kind of runs on from what we were just talking about, which was. What what do you see as the implications of this deal for Deutsche Börse's FX strategy? Um, oh, always a bridesmaid, isn't it, to a degree? Um, well, given this lack of alternative, say, unless Deutsche Börse go to State Street and say, look, this current X thing, how about it? Um, I... They, they, are, they are the victims left on the sideline here, aren't they? Now, whether they, you know, they've got two choices in my mind. They either go big for something for someone like a Caronex, um or even a spot stream. But then that's not really given them the global footprint that and the primary market ECN that would have come from Refinitiv, from Reuters Matching and um, yeah, and FX all to a degree. Um, so I, I, I'm not sure there's value for Deutsche Post going there. They could invest really heavily in GTX, and I think that would probably you'd be looking at you'd need a functionality upgrade, um, yeah, more functionality on it to attract maybe sort of different types of traders. But again, can you really take GTX and make it give it a global footprint? I'm not sure you can. Um, or they just turn around and say, okay, you know what, we're going to do the best we can with it, and maybe we focus on non-spot products. You know, we said last week, the FX turnover surveys, the growth in this business is not in spot at the moment. Maybe they go, okay, we throw everything into our forwards offering. I'm, I'm not sure where Deutsche Börse goes, really, I'm not, unless they can do a deal at a much bigger level than the FX market, you know, and do a deal like, you know, LSE has done for Affinitiv, where they take a much bigger company and there is an FX component as part of that that they can leverage. Um, does that does that deal exist? Not really, um, but yeah, there may be something out there for them. Um, other than that, yeah, I think they um, I think they have to just tread water for a while. So, so I've uh, in terms of building out uh, GTX or just in general building out kind of uh, a club, 
you know, with uh, interbank, particularly on the on the spot side. Uh, we've got a video on the website. I've I've talked. I've I've spoken to uh, Carlo, the CEO of uh, yeah. 360 and Deutsche versus FX about, and the argument from him was that look, it, it's harder. To, what they've already done is built certainly in Germany, built kind of a corporate business, right? And he was kind of saying, and I'm, I'm paraphrasing here, but but going from corporate corporate to corporate to corporate, the, the the difficulty in signing them all up, and a lot of them aren't necessarily that sophisticated in EFX, et cetera, and getting them on the platform is a lot harder than the interbank or the professional traders market, as, as it were, mm. where, you know, you've got a handful of firms that are probably doing, you know, 60, 70, maybe 80% of the flow that you really need to, to get in contact with. So so do you buy the argument that it's actually, it's, it's easier to build up what they're missing, which is that kind of more, Spot into bank or professional traders, you know, to, to broaden the term market, than the reverse, which I guess is is what kind of uh, CME and, and Next are trying to do, which is build out the buy side component. Um, that's a good question. I I think it's yes in terms of the technology, and I think maybe that's how he was thinking in terms of the technology and the connectivity. Then yes, it's undoubtedly a lot easier. But I think there's one very big if about that whole plan would be, do these people want it? Do they want another venue? You know, you've got these traders at the top of the creek, really not liking excessive fragmentation. They like to look at, you know, deep, deeper liquidity pools. Are they going to fragment it further? You know, they're already on 360T for any spot business the, court, the, the clients of 360T, you know, the buy side want to do. Do they really need another venue for them to deal with each other, I I just don't see it. I just don't see how they do. So, but but I think, uh, but the, I think then it, there is the business strategy. But but then ultimately it comes back to surely the the efficiency play, which is yes, you're you're asking them to fragment by coming to another thing. But like if if it gets the whole model that CME and Deutsche Börse seem to be pursuing is that that ultimately I'll be coming there because I can do. You know, they've got clearing, they've got pre-trade data and services, they've got execution, they've got everything from NDS to uh, futures to spot all, all in one place, and that's why and that's why I'd come there. Um, yeah, the problem is though is that at the moment, yeah, I mean, they look at it. People go to EBS. Um, it just happens to be owned by CME. There's not that many direct links in place, um, and I'm not sure people actually need it. You know. We, we're a very interconnected world, and I think, generally speaking, most of the principal players that you're talking about in that inter-dealer space um, are already connected to where they need to be connected. And is it going to create? You know, to me, it just creates. You know, it's just a multiplication factor, and I'm not sure at the moment people want that. You know, talking to the e-trading business and the quants and you know, the, these connect guys, they're they're really looking at it in terms of. Actually, how can I? The best efficiency play, the best simplification for me, is to be able to trim my number of connections, not to increase it by going to yet another one that is going to offer absolutely nothing new. That's the problem, and that's absolutely nothing against um, 360T or GTX or Deutsche Börse. It's just the fact that what they're offering in in terms of spot will be absolutely nothing new for the interdealer space. So I honestly cannot see why they would want to spend the money uh, to connect to that just to fragment the market further. 
I think it has to be. I think they have to buy something. If, if you're Deutsche Bors, I do think if you want to make a big play in spot, you have to buy something. But then that will also raise the issue that was kind of bubbling under with the Reuters and sorry, keep on calling them Reuters. <laughs> the Refinitiv and FX, you know, matching and FX all deal was people were concerned about the amount of debt they're taking on. Okay, so wait, pause because that's my next question. But you said something which triggered something which I, I wrote down earlier, which was uh, talking about the, uh, the the name. I, I know you've always loved the name Refinitiv, and so <laughs> I, uh, I I did chuckle earlier when I saw this is a a comment from um, someone on LinkedIn, which I, I copied and pasted to to read out to you, Colin. So they said this is a really exciting step forward. Exchange data indices. The plumbing of financial markets is what airports are to aviation. The best investment is the least glamorous infrastructure. But please change the Garthy name from Refinitiv to something more dot 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 definitive. <laughs> Wait. <laughs> Wait. It continues. Last line. Sounds like an indigestion tablet branded by a man- management consultant. And <laughs> <laughs> in case you're wondering, the person who posted this is a consultant. Yes, yeah, fair enough. Yeah, good. Um, well, I think they've nailed it, mate, haven't they? I mean, I actually said in my in my column on Monday, you know, just as an aside, does this mean that Ref- the name Refinitiv will go the way of Nex? Um, to be a very short-lived footnote in history. How <laughs> oh, briefly we knew you. Yes, exactly. Thankfully. So to your next question. Um, so my next question is, will, will new revenues offset the debt that LSE is taking on to push this deal through, right? So, yep. as you pointed out, they're taking on over $12 billion in debt. Um, you know, TradeWeb would have been a, a plum asset, but it, they spun it off public earlier this year. And yes, they have lots of shares in it, but still. Uh, FX all are matching. Great assets to own, but this hasn't been a, a vintage period for uh, FX transaction volumes. And so, you know, the revenue from that is not going to be provide the necessarily the kind of boost that they'll be looking for um the 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 terminal you know the desktop business there's been well documented uh challenges and maybe limitations to the growth on that going forward and you probably say bloomberg is is you know very much still the leader in that space mm-hmm. so it, it appears it's like they're putting all the eggs in the the data basket uh do you think that that is enough to give them the revenue they need to justify uh, taking on so much debt for such a big deal? That is a really fascinating question. I think your analysis is spot on. This is a deal about data at the moment. I mean, the transaction stuff can, can come back. I mean, you know, you, if the, you know, the FX swaps piece, I mean, you know, Refinitiv finally got the name right. And I'll probably get the name right finally when they change it back to something more definitive. Of course. <laughs> unquote. Um, but, um, yeah, I mean... Transactional volumes could go up, but I do think if they do, we'll find ourselves, you know, looking at that price war type scenario. I don't think there's room for growth. Yeah, you know, it's, it's you, you're heavily reliant upon volumes going up, not prices. You, prices will probably go the other way. Um, yeah, the plum's gone. Possibly, you know, some of the other services may bring stuff in, I'd just look at it and go data, 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 as, as you say. Um, and I think that's a really interesting, we're in an interesting space with data because 
I sense that we are getting some serious pushback from uh, financial markets generally against high-speed data. I think people are looking at it now going, like, hang on, this is literally we're paying through the nose for high-speed data to do what? To protect ourselves against predators that we can actually kind of cut off and we can actually get away with by quoting a bit wider. You know, that does reduce our volume business a little bit, but I think they're kind of learning that quality is better than quantity when it comes to how you run your business. So I wonder if there's going to be a pushback against the high-speed data that's pumped out by the exchanges in particular. Um, there was a, I read something somewhere. Um, it, was, it was very equities-based, and I tried to avoid yeah. equities at all costs. But um, <coughs> always, there always. Was a, yes, exactly. There was there was um, a piece, and it it says speed bumps are literally becoming you know every, they, they're coming everywhere in, in equities markets. More and more exchanges are putting on speed bumps, and if you put on these speed bumps, you don't need high, the high speed data. Now, at face value, you could argue that is a bad thing for LSE because well, actually, if, if people are going to be paying less for their data, then their deal if it still is about data, then they're stuffed. The only thing I would say, though, is that I don't think Refinitiv is really known for particularly high-speed data. I think, what, his binary fee was, what, 25 milliseconds, I think? So no, actually, I don't necessarily think high-speed. No, but but it has got range and depth of data. And so uh, yeah, and it definitely complements what LSE has. It, does, it brings in yeah. new data that it can kind of sell. Yeah, and and so therefore, actually, whilst at face value might go, oh, are they buying at the top of the data frenzy? Actually, well, they might be buying at the top of the data frenzy, but what they're actually going to be offering will probably be will speak more to what people want going forward. So, um, will they pay, will it pay for the debt? That's a shed load of debt, mate. Twelve billion dollars. I mean, well, it it's a lot. My last it's a lot. Expenses. Yeah, it reminds me of my last expenses bill, honestly. <laughs> um, um, I, I would say, I think, I, I, on my column on Monday, just to refer back to that very briefly, I, my conclusion was the only people likely to look back on this and go, oh dear, what have we done in three years' time, will be the buyer. Okay. I think um, good deal for Affinitive. So, so, speaking of which, right, what... One person did, did text me something that had me scratching my head a little bit, which was obviously Blackstone, uh, the consortium led by Blackstone, seems to be making a tidy profit. Someone did text me earlier today and be like, uh, why didn't LSE just buy Refinitiv like, at the start, like from Swanson Reuters? I don't think they were thinking of it, or they weren't quick enough. No, I, I don't think they were either, but like, like I, I don't think Blackstone's really done you know, that much to change it from a $17 billion to a $27 billion company. No, they haven't. But, uh, yeah. that, that, like Web, that, as you pointed out, I mean, someone, someone said to me, um, someone who knows the company well, said to me that they feel as though it's been badly run for quite some time and needs a fresh set of eyes on it. So, therefore, you know, maybe Blackstone have done something in terms of they've actually got people thinking about how it's run. I, I, I think we've, 
if you're talking predictions, we got it right last year when we said, you know, Blackstone are in this for a quick turn. It's the PE way, isn't it? You go in, you buy, you increase the value by chopping off bits and pieces here and there, you know, trade web IPOs, and then you look for a, you look for a decent bid. I mean, I think, you know, the True. good thing for them is they've actually got rid of the entire business. They haven't got to break it up, so there's not the all the costs, no. peripheral costs around that. Yeah, so, so talk about, yeah, I, I actually... I had at the time of the Blackstone deal, I had not an argument, but I had a, a, a polite disagreement with someone who was arguing that this was going to get sold off in one big thing, and I was like, I can't see it. It's too much. No one's going to buy that. It's going to get broken up and sold into different pieces, but it will add up to more than Blackstone paid for it. Um, and I saw them for a drink earlier, and they were gracious enough not to bring it up, or they just forgot that we had that conversation. Either way, I didn't bring it up. Um, which, which brings on to so so you said something there which brings up to my fourth question which is um, what are the implications of Blackstone owning the stake that it's now going to have in LSE because uh, it, it says that you know the Blackstone consortium will ultimately be left holding an economic interest in uh, LSE uh, equal to approximately 37% uh, and less than 30% of the total voting rights I mean you talked about like them being there for quick turnover. I mean, yeah, they're not going to hold these shares forever, right? They're not like hanging on to them for, for 5, 10, 15 years. It's a pretty sizable chunk of, of the overall exchange to, to have an economic interest in. Do you think that that has – does that have implications? Does a private equity firm like Blackstone have the same alignment of interest as LSE? Um, I kind of think they might have to hold on to it. But I'm not sure that the price that's been paid, you know, it's is given them quite a high value stake. I'm wondering whether their stake will, obviously, you know, the, the reaction on the stock market has been very positive, And I can't believe we're talking like equity analysts here. This is fantastic. This is a new <laughs> high low. This is a new high low for in the thick of it, delete as appropriate. Um, but I, I kind of look at it and think, well, they're prob- you know, the deal's going through at top dollar. And I struggle to think how Blackstone will be able to turn their stake, you know, reduce their stake for a the sort of profit they'd want to see. Um, obviously, they've banked a lot from this deal. They've got a much bigger stake. So they may turn and say, you know what, just reduce down as people come in, just reduce down a percent here, a percent here over the next couple of years. Um, but I wonder if they're actually looking at it now saying, well, um, this is, something we have to invest in for five to ten years, which is, as you say, fairly unusual. Um, do they spin it off and you know, make it a, a separate business? Um, there's some interesting questions there for Blackstone. And, yeah, to your point, I mean, has a private equity firm ever owned 30% of the voting rights and 37% economic interest in an exchange group before? I'm not sure. Yeah, it is interesting. I mean, I think, I mean, the, the one person I spoke to just said, uh, their view is that that Blackstone will be putting LSE under a lot of pressure to cut costs and slim down. That was their take yeah. on the influence. Um, yeah. And, and um, then, okay, is that, so, so is that the way you grow a business? No, but it's a way that you grow mm. top line profits, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like it, it's. Um, but this okay. is. But, but we said this deal, though, Galen. We said this deal was about the data and making the LSE group a serious challenger to the big global exchange groups, you know, the Deutsche Bourses, the CMEs yeah. and the ICES oh, or whatever else, and, and also but, but, Bloomberg. 
But, but this is my point. That's what the deal is to LSE. To Blackstone, it's something very different, right? So, yeah. Yes. That's what it is to, to LSE. But like, that's a multi-year project, right? It's yeah. Just integrating all this stuff and finding all the value and synergies, etc., will take years. Blackstone won't be around that long. So for them, it's like, okay, well, and this is just me speculating here. For them, yeah. it's like, okay, well, while they're getting, you know, while they're lining up all those ducks, in, getting all those ducks in line to to then take on Bloomberg and everyone else, etc. Mm-hmm. Uh, what I wanted to be doing is making sure they're stripping out as many unnecessary costs as possible and streamlining mm-hmm. this so I can push the, the share price up a little higher and then get out of this thing. That's my take on that. Yeah, I think that comes down to what the other shareholders, um, who they are and what they're thinking, because um, it's, it's, a whole, it's a whole different thing pushing through something when you are 55% owner and 37 30% of the voting rights um, they've got to get a significant amount of the other shareholders on side to be able to push that through so they might find themselves a little bit impotent on that when it comes to that in the boardroom no that is, that is true okay. I still can't believe we're having okay. this conversation move on <laughs> I know okay look, last question while, while we still have a little bit of time now um, yep. uh, will this all get past regulated which is there's been a number of bids for LSE that have uh, failed for various reasons. But the Deutsche Börse one got scuppered by regulators. Um, mm-hmm. Now, I, I, there's, less, there's less issues on the surface with this one, but I have seen less than people I've spoken to, but more out on the interwebs of, of social media, um, a number of comments you know, along the lines of red flags about conflict of interest, you know, uh, provider pricing information and a trading venue, uh, selling data, but also then you know disseminating that data amongst people. Basically, just saying not not that it won't happen, but that it's going to come under a lot of regulatory scrutiny. Mm. Two points, I suppose, I would make. This is not an exchange to exchange merger, so I think that removes a lot of the um, issues for regulators. They're buying, you know, they are genuinely expanding their business footprint and they are buying something in a different field, a, a, a different enough field, as in predominantly OTC um, markets, to make that a genuine, you know, take out some of the monopoly issues. Um, your question on data is an interesting one because what does every platform do? They, they collect their own data and they distribute it and they sell it. So what's different between this? I mean, you know, it's what IHS Market do. They they get in data from users and they sell it back to them. You know, I remember someone saying this to me last year that, you know, one of the great things in the data business is that, you know, you'll go to the banks, take their data, do a minimal amount of cleaning up, and then you'll sell it back to them. So they end up paying for their own data. <laughs> so I'm not sure where the... I'm not sure whether they, why there would be massive issues over a platform operator or an exchange operator packaging and selling their own data. It's, it's what they do. I, I did so. This is something I need to talk to more legal people tomorrow. But I oh, good luck with that. I know. I'm saying rather you than me. I'm seeing, I'm seeing a lot of comments and questions out there. I don't know how serious of a hurdle that could be. Um, no. I think yeah. some people are, are wary about. About just you know the mergers, just just when a deal this big comes through, I think people, some people are inevitably a bit skeptical. Particularly when like big lots of big deals have been scuppered in the past. Yeah. And then whether they're taking the lessons 
they're taking the wrong lessons away and applying them to the current situation is is entirely possible. I would I would close this by just pointing you in one direction. Um, and maybe it is a question to ask your um, your lawyer contacts. Um, CME and Nex was a very very similar deal in many ways, and that went through the regulators. I'm not sure that uh, was CME and Nex that similar of a, of a transaction, apart from an OTC FX venue lining up with a clearinghouse. I'm not sure and that an it was exchange group. An exchange, exchange group that, that traded all sorts of you know, derivatives, not equities, I grant you, but derivatives, products. Yeah, um, but, but, there was, there's, but, a market but LSE, there's a market data LSE, business. There was a post-trade business. LSE has a – well, I, I don't even know if it's still running. Well, I assume they have a derivative bit somewhere stuffed away, mm. I'm sure. But, but nothing to really speak of. No. Um, and then CME doesn't want to go even go anywhere near it. So – I don't know if I buy that this is a similar transaction. I think it'll be similar. From a regulatory perspective, I think it'll be similar enough. But, but I think my initial gut instinct on not knowing the, the legality of this is I think this will get through. But yep. I can certainly see why some people might have issue with if I'm the person selling data and I also own a major distribution network of that data, yep. my, my potential conflicts of interest to push my data over someone else's, to, to advantage my data over someone's, to ensure that the other data doesn't make it to you, just mine. I can I can see why some people might think that would be of more concern to regulators. I think some people are paranoid, mate. I don't think it's an issue at all. Got to be honest. But then again, I'm a, I'm a <laughs> I'm a bear of simple mind and simple brain. On which simple note. We will end tonight. I think, you know, one thing I would say is I do agree with you. I think the deal will go through. I'm not quite sure I'd buy the concerns these people have, but they're legitimate questions. And the regulators will have their look, won't they? So all will be revealed in the test of the time. Um, So that's us for this week. Thank you very much for listening. Uh, We'll be back next week. Have a good week.